Welcome to The Scope by the Columbia Women's Business Society, where we feature women changing the game in business. I'm your host, Elise Rovner, and I serve as the Membership Engagement Chair. Today on the podcast, we have Alexandra Medina, co-founder and CPO of Fritch, and Katrine Karuv, co-founder and CEO of Fritch, a fintech company making money social. Alexandra completed an interactive media design degree at NYU that equipped her with technical and design skills. She chose to develop an expertise in brand and strategy working across Europe, Asia, and the U.S., building global brands with McCann. She has also worked with brands such as Audi and Warner Music, focusing specifically on the Gen Z customer and is, in cur- and is currently in charge of the full life cycle of product at Fritch. Katrine worked as a model from the age of 15, which allowed her to live in 20 plus countries by the time she was 21. She started her first company at the age of 19 and after that created an app called Model Club, which was a social app for models and influencers. She took Model Club from the initial idea to it being one of the most used apps within the fashion industry within two years. Inspired by that, she left the fashion industry, went to graduate school at Harvard, and worked at a late-stage fintech company as VP of Partnerships, focusing on strategic growth before starting French. Hi, Alexandra and Katrine. Why don't we get into it? We're so happy to have you on the podcast today. Could you both tell me a little bit about your journeys before founding Fritch? And we can start with you, um, Katrine. Yeah, um, we'd love to. Um, so I had a little bit of um old beginning to my journey in Fritch. As I mentioned, I traveled a lot around the world. I worked as a model, but already back then, I noticed that anywhere in the world where I lived, that people were really desperately trying to keep up with their friends' social life, even if it was way out of their budget. And back then, that was one of the things that inspired me to get involved with Model Club, that it was actually a social app for models and influencers that helped them save money. Um, And this was really the first step into the tech world without even really knowing that this would be considered a startup world. Uh, But once we get started, I think the startup world is just so exciting that it's hard to be wanting to do anything else. And very naturally, when I started working in fintech, again, pretty much by accident in New York. I really liked the industry, but uh, the company where I worked was very focused on kind of the top 1% high-end clientele. And at the same time, there were people like me and Alexandra who just tried not to get their debit cards declined in front of their friends or who were constantly in the cycle of overspending and being anxious about not having any money on their accounts. And it just, it was a very natural transition into starting Fritch. It was really, really about solving the problem that uh, both of us struggled a lot with as well. Yeah, and I guess from my side, similar to Katrin, I mean, that's also how we met. We met um, in the Middle East, in Abu Dhabi. But um, before I started Fridge and moved to New York, I lived and worked in so many different places and really didn't matter if you're in Asia or Europe. Everyone's just struggling with the same thing. Um, But I guess I would still probably count as like a more conventional way of getting into FinTech. My degree was pretty technical, so... I like to describe it as creative coding with it, like basically a full preparation of being able to launch a product. So you do like 50% of learning how to code and doing all these amazing things. And then 50% making sure that whatever you make on your screen, on your computer is actually going to solve someone's problem and is actually valuable and worth um, bringing into this world. Um, And then, as you mentioned, um, I worked with McCann and I, I was developing brands for so many others who are focusing on the Gen Z customer. And it always frustrated me that um, whoever hired us to help them, they already came in with this pre-notion of who the Gen Z customer was. I just thought it was just an extension of the millennial um, subgroup. And obviously that's not true. The things that we've seen, the way we grew up is so different 
um and just having like this like friction to all, all the time because obviously no one would take me that seriously because i was just an 18 year old telling everyone come on like i believe me i know this is how you can get to the customer um and they would obviously always try to override me um but i mean it sucks for them like didn't work out for them <laughs> they didn't listen to me so their product didn't do always as well um but those times where they actually listened to a Gen Zer trying to explain how to get to a Gen Zer actually succeeded, um, and eventually I just got really tired of building other people's brands. So, built something for by myself, solving a problem that we as uh, together with Catherine had. Yeah, yeah. No, that's so incredible. And I guess, could you I guess tell me a little bit more about your experience at Audi and Warner Music? Um, like, and I guess how that experience affected your um, experience as a founder today? Mm. Yeah, I mean, so I didn't work directly for them. They were one of the clients that I was helping to create those strategies for them. So um, when I was working as a brand strategist, um, and also I helped a lot with PR strategies, um, they would obviously always put me in charge of social media, the Gen Z customer, because they would look at me and they'd be like, oh yeah, she probably understands it, which is true. Like, I mean, we can all agree here that like, we just have some kind of natural understanding of what works and what doesn't just because we grew up with it. Um, but I mean, I, I do think I got very, very lucky. I was part of a team that really appreciated my ideas. And um, I think what I gained from them was I learned um, well, first of all, I worked for them during my gap year. So I think afterwards, when I came back to school, I had such a different approach to what courses I was taking, why I was taking them. Um, but they also really taught me the whole process of ideation and how to come up with a strategy that um, I think one of my favorite things um, that we did was this whole like brainstorming process where we would take every single brand and we would try to ma imagine it being a person and we would build a whole story around this fake persona, who this person is, what is their problem, how um, we can solve it because, um, I mean, if you think of any of your most favorite favorite brands in the world, you don't connect to them because they have a superior product. You connect with them because there's some kind of like, this like, certain like je ne sais quoi I don't know it's just something you can't really explain like something really really works and I think it's because it can connect to you emotionally so I, I really hope I successfully took those ideas and that approach to bring them to French I'm sure if you took a little uh, moment of looking at our brand I mean that's the one thing that we are so proud of because it really like stands out it's so bright and playful and trying to really connect with the customer and try to fix this preconceived uh pre-notion that um financing and finances and budgeting is boring it's for um only those that study finances which is not true all of us have our own budgets that we have to know how to mm -hmm. deal with <laughs> so it doesn't it has to you so i think that's like one of those things i really really hope um, I took, I could bring to French from my previous experiences. Yeah, that's amazing. I love how you describe that. Like, I guess making it a story and like treating every brand as a person, like that's a super interesting, like I had never thought of it that way. That's so interesting. 
And then I guess, Katrine, could you tell us a little bit more about the shift from the fashion industry into fintech? I know you talked a little bit about it earlier, but I'm just curious if you could expand, like, what's the difference? I know Model Club, I guess, delved into fintech, but if you could tell us a little bit more. Yeah, um, I mean, the whole story behind it is pretty random, if I'm very honest. Um, so um, getting into Model Club again, I just wanted to solve a problem that I know a lot of models and influencers were having that they were struggling sometimes with money since their paychecks aren't always really regular. Um, so the app focused a lot on helping them kind of save money at different like you know restaurants, bars, cafes, gyms. Um, and I definitely learned a lot of skills there, like how to set up partnerships and how to acquire users. Uh, but it wasn't honestly until then when I got full into fintech. It was after um, I moved to the US and while I was still modeling, I started my grad school and I actually wanted to look for a job in the travel industry, assuming that I've traveled a lot and uh, I would probably know quite a lot about this industry. So uh, being really brave, just moving to New York and not knowing anyone, I would never do it again. I just DM'd on Instagram the CEO of a fintech company pretty much asking for a chance to work together. And I really assumed at that point that the company was focused more on travel, but it was kind of an intersection between travel and fintech. And pretty overnight, I started working there. And I think it was only a couple of weeks later when I totally dropped modeling and I was fully focused on that company. And, you know, once you get into the startup world, as I mentioned before, it's just such an interesting journey. And I never, ever imagined myself to be in the finance world, especially having terrible spending habits. But it just happened very naturally, uh, step by step. Yeah, that's so cool. That's amazing that you just DM them. And like, that's I... I love that. That's so cool. That was a great DM. <laughs> yeah, I would love to see what you wrote. Um, could you tell us like a little bit more about Fritch and kind of what really inspired you to create the app? Yeah, so um, again, as mentioned, during COVID, we were very sick of our own bad spending habits. And I think especially living in big cities, people struggle a lot more with spending habits, whether it's like dinners out or drinks out, Ubers back home, taking coffee in the morning on your way to work or school, um, grabbing lunch or ordering seamless. So people are always so busy. So it's very convenient to keep spending money on social life. And the big part for us was also the fact that being new in the city or being new in any city, you focus a lot on building up a new friend group and the same in Colombia, I'm sure for incoming freshmen, you're very worried if you're going to fit in socially and spending money to fit in in that social group, like whether you like it or not, plays a big part. So we really wanted to find a solution for that and we found you know that there were a lot of budgeting apps out there and we tried a lot of those but kind of what Alex mentioned before they didn't really understand how a Gen Z customer thinks which I think is the key differentiator of Fridge so a lot of them were a little boring a little serious intimidating again not something that a college kid would be looking for and they all missed an essential part of money management which is that money is social and you know your friends are going to affect your spending so much more than anyone else more than even probably yourself so very inspired by me and Alex throughout the years using different fitness apps that do have that social element where we would keep each other accountable for our workouts or meals or weight we added the same uh, social aspect to personal finances and really turned personal financing to social finances so um, as a fridge user you can set goals together with friends and keep each other accountable so whether it's challenging each other to spend less money on ubers spend less money on drinks or you know not order seamless every day um, and the best part that we like the most about app is that you can actually get rewarded for sticking to your goals so the app gives you starbucks uber or amazon coupons if you manage to stick to the goals together with your friends 
Yeah, that's so cool. I love that you're making money social. And I think that's such an important aspect that I often don't think about because how much I spend with my friends often, I mean, my budget is often dictated by what I'm doing with friends in my social life. So that's like, Rich is such a smart idea. And it's so amazing that you're putting that into motion. So what is your vision for Fritch five years from now? So we're really focused on making Fritch the go-to app for anything finance related for Gen Z. So, you know, as we begin working on their spending habits as next step, since we have a strategic partnership with MasterCard, we want to launch a Gen Z friendly debit card that's really going to understand what a Gen Z person wants from debit cards, which really is cool perks such as free drinks, free coffee, you know, 20% off on food. So immediate things, because something we realize when it comes to all those perks is that, you know, a college kid doesn't want to collect miles and fly once in first class, like in five years, like we want something that we can get now. So we're very focused on those things and kind of building upon that and building upon the social Gen Z community, we can add also micro investing into that. And as that generation starts to grow older, we really want to, you know, get in there early and support them throughout their lives. You know, maybe at some point they want to buy a house or they're going to get a family and manage money in a couple. So I think the social element can really transform throughout years from, you know, being a fun, you know, spending up with your buddies in college to like maybe using that to manage your family's finances. So that's kind of a very long-term vision for us. Yeah, that's amazing. So uh, what is it like being co-founders and what have you found most rewarding about embarking on your founding journey together? Uh, okay, I'll take this one. I think having a co- I honestly don't know how people do it without having a co-founder. I think you really, really need that one person that you can be completely 100% honest with because, um, how do I say this nicely? There is nothing harder and more unpredictable than founding a company. And it will, (laughs) if you don't have someone you fully 100% trust sharing the good and especially the bad, um, I don't know how long someone's mental health can survive that. So I think choose your co-founder very, very wisely, preferably they're your friend, but also if they are your friend, um, be sure that all of your conversations eventually will be about the company you founded together. Um, And also realize that you'll probably spend like 16 hours a day talking to this person every single day, Saturday, Sundays included. Um, And then they'll show up in your dreams and in your nightmares and everything. Um, So choose wisely. That's all I'm going to say. But I do think that obviously um, we've been very, very lucky um, having each other as as co-founders just because we have so much trust in between us so um i do think that's the most important thing that um you can really 100 percent fully trust them because you're taking on a very 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 tricky journey together so um yeah i think that's uh from my side (laughs) and something i wanted to add is I think like a really important part about being co-founder is having different skills that are good. So uh, today at this point, although we do still speak 16 hours a day, um, me and Alexander are in charge of different parts of the company. So she's really great with like 
product and managing the product team, designers, developers, and I'm dealing more kind of with the business development side. And I think having that distinction, having different skills and everyone being in charge of their part is kind of the key to getting along well and making sure that like the company is running smoothly. So I think for anyone who's planning to start a startup, like I think picking a co-founder who's kind of professionally different from you is really, really important as well. But otherwise, totally agreeing with Alex again, I think we're very lucky to have already this strong trust before being best friends for so many years. Um, and again, I just don't know how a solo founder would ever, ever do that. Like you just need that one person who at the end of the day you can go to and like tell how things really are going. Yes, no, I think that's great advice and great to keep in mind as our Columbia community is focused on a lot of people interested in entrepreneurship and founding as well. And I think I love working in teams and I love being collaborative. So I think it's great that you two are partners in the process. And I guess to kind of add on to that, I was curious what it's like, like what the responsibilities are like being a CPO versus being a CEO. If you could tell us a little bit about like what your daily operations look like in those different positions. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think for most people probably know very well what a CEO does. I mean, Katrin just talks to people every single day, all day long. <laughs> um, and while she's out there championing for it, I'm kind of more in the background, making sure that um, that works. It's there and it's solving some problems. So um, I would say that my role is somewhere in between like a CPO and CTO. So product and technical. Um, so what I do on a daily basis is manage um, our team of developers and make sure that they know what they're doing, what's the priority, um, what they should be focusing on, and then just kind of taking in a stream of feedback from our users and trying to figure out what to polish, what to change, if people are happy, if it's actually solving their problem, what would they like to see, what do they want to take away. I think the most, most important thing, especially in like the early days of the product is to actually listen to a customer and have like the system set up where you have like constant um, access to this feedback. And um, I think uh, our uh, NYU accelerator that we took part in this summer was very, very helpful with setting up the system and teaching us how to actually lead these focus groups and make sure that we don't prompt people to answer things the way we want to hear them, but make them ask them those questions so that they give those answers that are kind of hard and painful to hear because obviously it's your baby and you want it to be perfect and everyone to love it, but that's not very helpful. Um, so it really is kind of finding a balance between those qualitative um, answers from these people and having these conversations with your actual users and then taking that information and trying to transcribe it and um, translate it into like a more technical developer type of language and then figuring out what can we do technically in what time frames and trying to put together those designs from um, our UX team um, and just making sure you know nothing crashes and it's actually working especially you know if we're dealing with people's money nothing can ever go wrong and uh, to kind of maybe give a little more insight into uh, the CEO's role. So as Alex mentioned, it's a lot of talking. So definitely fundraising plays a much bigger role uh, in that position than I actually envisioned in the beginning. So it's definitely, you know, the investors you want to get in now, but you're also building up relationships for later rounds. And, you know, you might have like 
50, 60 different conversations with investors before you confirm, confirm one, but you kind of, you're kind of in there for the long-term game as well. Um, but besides that, um, I'm pretty focused on kind of the business development and partnership side. So whether it's setting up new partnerships with other companies, um, different universities, student clubs. So at those early stage, I do have to say that we're still in that part where we're both pretty much doing everything from, you know, discussing whether that investors is good for us or like seeing who's going to be the best new TikTok manager. So it's pretty hectic. We, I feel we often have like a good set of like roles that we're going to take on. But in reality, you're really just going to be holding, like putting on so many different hats at the early days. It's definitely getting better. But I would say in the first couple of months after we started, it was, it was pretty crazy. Now we have a much better team in place who's very talented and I feel like we're getting so much more organized. Yeah, that's so exciting. And I definitely, I wasn't sure. So that was super helpful to hear like the difference in responsibilities. And it's so cool what you both are doing. Um, And then I guess, what skills do you think are vital to starting a business in fintech and breaking into this industry? I I just have one, honestly, one answer. I just think it's resourcefulness, but uh, I'll let you expand on that. Oh, I just wanted to say that too. (laughs) Um, Yeah, honestly, I think, any skill you can learn, like anything, like in six months to a year, you can learn a new skill, but having resourcefulness, like startups gonna always have those moments where like everything feels like it's burning and crashing. And you just gotta have the resourcefulness and grit to come out of that. Like you just need to be able to find the solution to anything that comes up. And honestly, I think not only as founders, but for anyone we want to the team, like they need to be resourceful. They need to be able to kind of just hustle through whatever comes and again it's very different from having a corporate job which i've never had but i assume it's way more organized everyone has a specific role um you know for us right now our head of marketing holds branding you know managers tiktok managers sees like what's gonna be going up on instagram deals with someone's like angry dms or just gonna be holding so many roles at once and you just gotta be able to find a way so i think for us as founders we just want people coming to us with solutions, not with problems. Um, And that's kind of the uh, approach we try to take for our business ourselves as well. I love that. Yeah, resourcefulness is definitely super important. And I guess to follow up on that, what advice do you have for college-aged women interested in entrepreneurship? And what do you kind of wish you had known? That's a that's a tough one. I feel like I wish I knew everything. I I, I don't think I was in any way shape or form prepared for what was going to happen. I think we, I was just very passionate about the problem I was solving and I was um, ready to learn how to solve it. Um, and I honestly think that's the only advice I would take is just, I mean, if you're, if you're in college, you're like 21, 22, you really don't have too much to lose. Like if, even if you mess up, like it goes terribly, like whatever, it's one of your first jobs. No one's going to ever remember this. Um, unless you do super, super well, that's going to like set your life up for success. But just don't be afraid of failing because it's not like you're responsible for anyone else, just but for yourself. It's not that, like you have kids to take care of or family members. Um, you're just in your early 20s, just experimenting, trying out new things. And there's obviously, like, I honestly think there's like no better way to learn like, 5,000 new skills to try and start a company because like Katrin said, you will have every single imaginable role that can that company can have. Um, the, your title literally doesn't mean anything, especially in the beginning because you're just doing everything all the time. Um, so just 
be ready to take on the challenge. Like you're just so young, you have so little responsibilities that just see this as like an experiment and whatever happens, happens. And I'm going to add maybe on top of that one more skill, which is connecting and networking with people. Um, I think sometimes the most random people who somehow end up being the most helpful along the journey. And, you know, when I was in college, I never thought that I would be into tech. So I never really connected with people who weren't in my, like what I was interested in back at the time. But I think being connected to as many people as possible and kind of building up that network early on is really, really important and helpful for doing something later on. Um, and I think also, when you speak about like failing and not being afraid to fail, I think whatever you do, it's important to fail fast. Like if you figure out something isn't working, it's better to like fail in three months and then move on to something else and acknowledge what you learn from that rather than kind of drag something along throughout years, which I think a lot of people do when they have like projects and they just kind of keep carrying it like low key on, which I think in startup world, it doesn't work. Like you either go in all the way and like hustle and grind 24 seven or you don't start anything at all. So I think you kind of have to pick. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And I guess, do you have any tips for networking? The Columbia Women's Business Society is heavily networking based. And I guess, what are your tips? So I've mainly done my networking in life in a non-conventional way. I honestly haven't met that many people in a professional networking event. I feel it's more when you're just out there you have a social life i think it's also really important to involve people who are from different life paths of yours different age groups nationalities and you might not know at the moment like why they're going to be helpful for you along the way or how you can be helpful to them but i think it will just naturally pop up so i think just it's kind of a numbers game as well the more connections you have the more you expand your network continuously um the more you're going to have like fruitful conversations and partnerships as well. Uh, when it comes to, um, that's like a very practical tip, but I think when it comes to reaching out to someone online, um, I would always do a little bit of research on them. Uh, people love to know that you've checked them out, know what they've been doing. They love getting compliments. And I wouldn't shy away from even sending them like a DM on Instagram, which is where people don't expect someone professional to come in. Um, I think that's a way less crowded place than like LinkedIn or email can be. So that's just like a very, very practical, not so inspiring tip. Yeah, that's super helpful. I definitely had not thought about that. I mean, and it's proven successful. I mean, you got your first fintech job from DMing someone. So it does work, (laughs) which is super cool. Um, Yeah, I was just gonna say, you know, like, DM people, you might just get your first job. So (laughs) nothing bad about DMing random people on Instagram, (laughs) but just make them feel special. Give them some value. Solve their problems. Don't don't bring um, new problems to them. (laughs) So now on to our quick takes. Name one act of self-care that you practice each day. Uh, Go on long walks. I hate to be lame, but the same long walks. (laughs) And hopefully with like a cup of coffee while I'm doing my walk and good music. And then the second one is, who is a woman that you look up to? My co-founder. <laughs> same. Oh, God, I hope that have the same answer. But I'm every day so, so amazed by Alexandra. And I'm so happy we get to work together. That's a great answer. And then recommend a few books, podcasts, newsletters, or blogs that you've enjoyed and would recommend to our website readers and podcast listeners. Oh, my God. This is a tough one. <laughs> Um, I would go with Y Combinator videos. Um, when we were just starting, we were like 
binge watching all of Y Combinator like YouTube videos. They cover pretty much every topic on the startup world. So that's pretty great. And um, I'm quite a big fan of different books about startups. So I think um, Zero to One is a really great one. And Lean Startup would be maybe a second book suggestion. For a podcast, to be honest, I'm still on the lookout for something really great. So I um, would love suggestions over here as well. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the only podcast I listen to is the one I listen to when I run. So I don't really want to think about more starter problems. So probably doesn't fit here that much. It's just something that makes me laugh. Um, but for books, I really, I mean, if we have to like stay in the like, you, you can... know, like business, like practical realm, yes. I obviously because like Fritch eventually, you know, boils down to trying to change people's habits and uh, trying to make their spending habits a little bit healthier and better. I really enjoyed the book Tiny Habits by B.J. Fogg. Um, it's just a little bit more in like a very digestible way, a little bit more about human behavior. And, and honestly, you don't have to even build a company that re revolves around that. It's just even if you want to make some changes in your own behavior, I think it's like very digestible and actually gives you some actionable advice. Um, but if you're looking for like, literature or like some kind of book to like read when to when you're unwinding i think one of my forever favorite books is glass castles um i think it's a really really great book i forget who is it who it's by but i mean it's probably easy to find <laughs> yes no those are some great recommendations thank you so much uh, and that's it for Alexandra and Katrin, the founders of Fritch. Visit their website, getfritch.com, to learn more and download their app on the App Store. We hope that you love it as much as we do. Thank you all for listening. You can find a transcribed version of this interview in our Scope newsletter. If you're not yet subscribed to the Scope, please subscribe at our website, columbiawomensbusinesssociety.org, under the For Students tab. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at columbiacwbs, and as always, reach out if you have any questions or want to get involved. Have a great rest of your day.